Hello and welcome to Lift, a parenting podcast. My name is Kim Myers and I am your host. Um, in my day job, I am the pastor of family ministry here at St. Andrew. And um, after five, haha, because you know, ministry ends every day at five. Um, I'm a mom and a wife to two teenage boys at home. And so connecting family and faith and just all the things that come in between that is my passion. And today we have Amy Poole as our guest. Amy, would you like to introduce yourself? Sure. Thank you. Um, I am Amy Poole. I'm from the Grant Halliburton Foundation, but my background is in education. So Grant Halliburton Foundation is a mental health awareness suicide prevention foundation, but I spent over 35 years in education. I was a teacher and a principal and a consultant with our local um, education. You worked Center. for Region 10, right? Yes. So did yes. I oh, many really? moons ago. We'll have wow. to have we'll another have conversation about, about that. that. Yeah. <laughs> so during all of that, um, got really involved with some things that we were doing at work around mental health and mental health awareness and trauma-informed care. And I was a consultant for interagency supports for children with had special needs. Yep. So got involved with the Grant Halliburton Foundation with that. And suddenly last spring, about a year, half ago now, um, had a conversation with one of their, uh, their director of education. And she said, we're starting this new project and was telling me all about it. And I said, that just sounds so cool. I'd love Love to get to be a part of that at some point. She said, well, I'm writing the job description. You want to come do it now? So <laughs> It worked out. It worked out perfectly. And I am Thrive Strategy Manager, which means that um, we are working with schools to develop social emotional learning, mental health and mental health awareness plans, um, strategic plans, so that they are doing more to break the stigma around mental health and to do more um, infusing mental health into the academics of school. So yeah. Grant Halliburton Foundation has been around since 2004. Grant was a young man from Plano, um, took his own life when he was 19. And his parents had really been dealing with his mental health condition, his issues for about five years, six years when he took his life. Um, they had done everything they needed to do. They had gotten Grant medical care. They had had him with counselors and therapists and had done all the things that they needed to do and really found out after his death, there was a lot they didn't know. And they had struggled even to be able to do those things. And they didn't want that to happen to any other families. And so they developed the foundation with the mission of support for information. So a lot of education and then resources. And we have developed um, through the foundation, we've developed the um, Here for Texas um database. It's a searchable database so that individuals can go in and put in their zip code and answer some questions and it will generate a list of providers based on the criteria of their needs and they can get the resources they need and the help that they need. If they cannot do that on their own or don't want to do that on their own, they can call our navigation line and the navigators will help them with that. That's so awesome. those are two great, huge resources. And we've been doing presentations and training with kids and with staff staff of schools with other adults and community organizations around mental health and mental health and suicide prevention for years. And a couple of years ago, the foundation said, you know, we're not really changing the culture around mental health. We're not breaking stigma, doing a presentation here, there, you know, we right. need to do something different. And so they started working with a really small private school and has grown now to public schools that we are um, going in and doing strategic planning with them. So we do audits to see what 
what they're already doing and start looking for gaps and filling in those gaps with training or professional development or programs, whatever they need. And so that's my job is to kind of keep all that coordinated and keep it moving. So it's really exciting as we're doing that. I love that. I mean, you know, as we have met before, is um, breaking down mental health stigma is really important to me. Um, both as a mom, I have a child who suffers with um, anxiety and some depression. He's doing great right now, but we always have to keep that in our head yeah, yeah. of who he is. Um, and also as the family pastor here, we met because last year we tragically lost um, one of our students to suicide. Yeah. And as a staff here, um, we were really tired of being responsive to suicide. Exactly. And we wanted to start doing some things that were proactive. And so I want I brought you in today because we were starting that with the Hope Squad. Yes, yes. And so we're launching it. And from my understanding, we're one of the first churches yes, to launch you are. this. Yes, you are. Which is exciting. Um, because it's usually a platform in a school system. Yes. And just for those listening, the reason that we can launch it at our church, one of the primary reasons is that we have counselors on staff here. And so we have that resource available to us if if right, it's needed. Right. Um, and also just through our, we have an amazing team that works, you know, with our family ministry and student ministry. So can you give us a high level overview of what Hope Squad is, maybe how it started? Yes. Okay. Yes. So um, Hope Squad started in Provo, Utah. At one point, Utah had the highest suicide rate in the nation. Provo had the highest suicide rate within Utah. And their school system was losing one to two students at a rate of one to two students a year to suicide. And that had gone on for several years, actually. Um, In 1999 was when they finally said, enough is enough. And we've got to figure this out. So that had happened through the 90s. They had been losing these students and started looking at what could they do differently. And Greg Hudnall was an administrator in the district at that time. He was a principal. He eventually was an assistant superintendent, but he pulled together community leaders and school leaders and said, let's you know, look at what we're doing and how can we do shake things up and do things differently because I'm tired of losing kids. This is this has got to stop. Yeah. So through all of that, they came up with this process of bringing, of having the students nominate their peers that they trusted, that they would go to and talk to them. And the reality is kids are already talking to kids. That's who they go talk to. And that's who they tell their problems to. And as kids, they want to take care of their friend. And so they were not really telling when they did know they were just keeping all that bottled up inside and trying to manage it themselves. And mm-hmm. in that getting sucked into a lot of trauma themselves. And Absolutely. so with Hope Squad, once they had the, the kid, kiddos nominate, you know, these are people I trust. They found this pool of kids that got named over and over and over. And out of those kids, those kids were the ones they pulled together and started giving them the resources and education around what are signs of risk? What are those signs that somebody may be thinking about suicide? What do you look for in your friend to know they're struggling? And then how do you guide them to help? Because this is not your job. You're you're a child too. You cannot do this on your own. Nobody does this on their own, but you need a professional to help your so friend. Let, let me pause. I I when I first started hearing about Hope Squad, I 
there were two things I thought. The first one was absolutely kids go to kids, Mm -hmm. right? Kids, um, I've preached it for a decade and now I'm living it Mm -hmm. with teenage Mm -hmm. boys, right? Like, I mean, my, my oldest son had a rough weekend. He didn't talk to me and my Mm -hmm. husband. He talked to his friends and his girlfriends, right? Recognizing that's what they do. So that was my first, like, absolutely. But then I had some reservation of, we say that this is an adult situation and kids can't handle it, but we're setting kids up to handle it. Can you talk about the difference there and where that line goes? Right. So kids get that information from their friends and they want to take care of their friend, but they may have not, because there's so much stigma around mental health, they don't have good information. They Mm -hmm. don't have the resources or the information that they need in order to guide their friend to help. And so with Hope Squad, they're getting a lot of training around, like I said, the signs and suicides, but they're also talking about healthy boundaries that sometimes I'm not the one that needs to take care of this and let me get you to the person who does. And so where is that boundary? Where is that line? Or for their friend that is constantly coming back to them with problem after problem after problem, and they can't fix their friend and they can't fix their friend's problem. Where do they draw the line to keep themselves healthy? Um, They talk about self-care and how do you take care of yourself? They talk about building friendships and building connections for those kiddos that are not talking to anybody, that they're just on the fringes and drawing them in. They do lots of activities where they're building awareness around mental health and that it's okay to talk about it. And it's okay to say, I'm not doing well right now. Mm -hmm. And that you don't have to hide that there's, you know, not shame in this or blame. It's not your fault. It's okay. It's just, it is an illness and let's, let's Mm -hmm. get you the help you need. And, And a lot of times parents, are dealing with that shame and fear as well. They know their child is struggling, but it's not easy for you to say, what therapist would you recommend to their friend? You know, it's okay to say, which pediatrician are you using? But not everybody needs a therapist. And there's a lot of blame and shame that goes along with asking about a therapist. So Mm -hmm. it really is getting that conversation out out in the open. And I think that's the piece that really makes a big difference for kids is to say, we can talk about this. I mean, Vanita, our founder says, you know, 10 years, 20 years ago, we didn't talk about cancer. We never said the word cancer and definitely not breast cancer. We didn't talk about those things. But once that conversation got started and people realized it was okay to mention that, then people were getting screenings and there we were Mm -hmm. reducing the rate of death around cancer. That's what we need to do with mental health issues is talk about them, get the treatment, get the health and care that they need. And then we can start reducing the death rate around that. I love that. And through y'all, I've had the opportunity to do some training this summer. And just, I mean, one thing that has brought, I don't know, me peace or comfort. I don't know the right um, word for that. But if a child declares that they're thinking about Mm -hmm. taking their life to somebody else, it reduces the risk of them actually doing it. And that brings like dramatically reduces and um it's i mean there's no magic pill or anything like that but that's what i loved about the hope squad is naming things and Mm -hmm. but giving kids training for knowing when to stay in their lane when it's when it's out of their lane who to hand it off to and having those systems in place 
Uh, the point that you're making about you know being able to talk about it really really releases some of that tension and anxiety about I'm keeping a secret and mm-hmm. I can't tell anyone. And we know secrets just fester and grow when there's there's no light there. You right. know, it's something held in the dark and the dark is not the place to hold that. Um, and so being able to talk about it reduces that stress, that anxiety, gets it out in the open and at the same time um, gets the help that they're needing right away rather than letting it grow. Because if we can address this early on with kiddos, mm-hmm. and we have lots of kids that are dealing with anxiety and stress at a very, very early age, more so now than we did in years past. Absolutely. And the earlier we can address that with them, then the more likely we are to reduce the long-term effects of that Anxiety. Yeah, coping mechanisms mm-hmm. and just getting it Strategies, out there. Right. Yes. Um, so one thing that we're doing here at St. Andrew, which I think most people do when they start the Hope Squad, is we're going to start three different age level squads. Yeah, yeah. So I'd like to talk a little bit about what's different about each one of them. So um, when we presented it to our parent councils, one of the moms wrote me afterwards and said, why can't we do this in kindergarten? <laughs> I was like, whoo, I love the um, energy behind it. But we're starting in fourth and fifth grade. So can you tell us a little bit about what that squad will look yes, like? Yes. So at that age level, um, developmentally, they're just at that age beginning to understand brain and, and understanding um, how their body and their brain work together and that their brain is a part of, is an organ in their body and that they can do things to make themselves feel better. So we can start talking about that, that research, the science behind um, taking care of your brain helps make your body better, but it also helps with your emotional well-being, all those kinds of things. Taking care of your body helps your brain be more effective and what you can do. We also talk a lot about friendships at that age, um, empathy, building relationships, listening well. At that point, they're really old enough that they can start to listen critically and listen to their friend and listen for those other things that their friend may not be saying, but they can see evidence that their friend's struggling. And so talking about all those kinds of things, we don't do a lot with suicide at that age, we do talk about risk factors and things to look for when your your friend may be in crisis or struggling, but we don't want to put too much pressure on them with the suicide. So we do talk about it, but it's not the main focus. The main focus is the friendships and connections and drawing people to, together and building relationships and being inclusive and those kinds of things. But when we move in into junior high, uh-huh. it gets a little more complex. All of the curriculum is based on QPR and QPR is a suicide suicide prevention program. It stands for question, persuade, refer. So at junior high and high school, we start really teaching that how to ask questions and how important it is to ask that direct question. Are you thinking about killing yourself? Because that's a hard question to ask and nobody wants to ask it, but unless you do, you may not get the real answer. Well, and I want to pause you on the QPR. I got certified in that this Mm -hmm. summer and I've been in I don't know, church world for 15 years. And I was an educator before that. I wish I had this knowledge 20 years ago. Yes, absolutely. Because it frees you. I mean, I was on a hard pastoral phone call and I asked the question, are you thinking about taking your life? And it brought, you know, and it, it was like, oh no. And I was like, okay, I just needed to know where you were at, but I never would have had the gumption or the freedom Mm -hmm to ask that question without this training. Right. So yeah. I'm so thankful that you've brought well, that to us. Well, and a lot us. of times people are very nervous about, you know, you shouldn't ask that question because it's going to plant the idea. But the reality is if somebody's thinking about that, they've been thinking about it for a long time. That's not something that they 
suddenly one morning wake up and go, oh yeah, I'm thinking about that for the most part. Right. Um, and if you're, if you're asking that question and they're not thinking about it, you asking it is definitely not going to move them there. They, they've already either considered it and moved on or they're not considering it at all. Um, but if they are considering it, you being willing to ask that question takes so much pressure off of them that they have finally found somebody who is brave enough and strong enough to ask them that question. Mm-hmm. They're, you're a safe person for them to be able to talk right. to. And so it really opens up the communication there and gives them a place to say, yes, I am. And I need help. And so then what's the persuade? Tell me about that next So step. persuade then is once you've asked the question and if they answer yes and then you have to find out, well, really, how how imminent is this danger? Have you do you have a plan? Are you already do you know what you're going to do? Do you know have a timeline? And if they answer que- yes to any of those questions, you need to get them to help immediately. If they're saying, no, I don't really have a plan. I've just thought about it. Then maybe you don't need to get them to an emergency room, but you do need to get them a doctor's appointment. Right. And so just kind of being able to gauge that by asking the questions and then persuade has to do with let's get you some help. Can I go with you and we go get the help? Do we, can we go together and talk to someone? Do you want me to find someone for you and bring them to you? You know, but let's get help together and I'm here to help you. So it's persuading that person who's in danger to, to reach out and get some help. And most of the time when people are in that position, they can't reach out on their own. So they really need somebody to help them either draw somebody in or go with them to get that help. And so that's the P part is the persuasion. And then the R is refer. And that is getting them the information they need. And that's why I think um, our Here for Texas website is so helpful. And our navigators are so much help when you get to that point, because you don't always know where to go. And you don't. And before you even have that conversation, you want to have some idea of what's available. And so asking the navigators to help you come up with a few ideas can be very helpful. I love that phone call piece too, because sometimes it is just good to talk through with what you want, what you don't want in account, you know, because counselors are, they're sometimes hard to connect with and find. And, um, but man, when you find the right one, right. It's, it's amazing. It's amazing. It, it is amazing. And, I, and our navigators are amazing. They, I mean, we have had phone calls from out of state. I mean, we're primarily Northeast Texas, but we've had calls from out of state and our navigators are fantastic in digging and finding and calling and making connections and finding the help that someone needs. Um, we had a call from Houston with someone who needed a very specific kind of therapist based on a religious belief. And our our therapist had, I mean, our um, navigators had no idea, but they started making phone calls and they were able to find what she needed. And they also do a little case management and they will check back in a few days and say, did you get what you needed? Can we help you with something else? Um, Did that, did you get an appointment? If not, do we need to help find somebody else for you? Or, you know, just making sure people are getting the care they need, which I think is a huge piece. So often if you call your insurance company to get a referral, you may get the referral, but they're not going to check back to see right. if you ever follow through to make your appointment right. or if you actually got in or those kinds of things. So yeah. our navigators are fantastic. And the good thing about our navigators, are we have two 
on staff that are um, social work background mm-hmm. you know, professionals, mental health professionals that are doing a lot of the work. But then we have volunteers who man the phones and they are people who have dealt with mental health issues themselves or with family members. They have such a real connection to mm-hmm. what that caller may be going through. And so they're really able to talk through and ask all those questions that if I were asking the, you know, talking to them, I might not know to ask that question because I'm not dealt with mental health issues like right. some others have. Right. And so they really have an understanding of being able to ask those questions That's in amazing. very meaningful ways. So let's go back to Hope Squad. So we talked about elementary and middle school. So yeah, middle school, it's kind of expanding, going a little bit deeper into signs of signs of suicide, those warning signs. And then again, going into safe boundaries, self-care, all those things, but just at a little more complex level. Um, the elementary has a literature component. So they're using literature, storybooks with kids to, to have those conversations when they get into junior high. They don't use the literature so much. However, I think that's a component that's coming in with the upgrades and oh, the awesome. squad, so which would be great. Um, and then they also get into more journaling. So the Hope Squad members able to journal with their advisor and the advisor is able to see that and respond and those kinds of things and, and doing more activities that are beginning to expand out into the family a little bit. So it starts very much about the child and then grows in complexity and grows in reach because by the time you're at high school, then they're learning how do I reach out and be an advocate for others? How do I educate other people? And what are some strategies and some skills I need in order to do that? Teaching, you know, communication and listening and then it just being going beyond themselves, but looking into the community for resources and making sure they are aware of more information. So if somebody wanted to start a Hope Squad at their church or Mm -hmm. their school, how do they get in contact with you? How do we, how do they get information? The website is fantastic. If you just go to hopesquad.com or .org. I don't know. I don't remember. Just do Hope Squad. You'll come. Yeah. Google it. And there is, a, there is a link at the bottom of the first page that says, do you want to start a Hope Squad? And you click on that and they will guide you through that. If you want some more information about what we're doing, you can always contact the foundation. You can email me. My email address is apool, A-P-O-O-L, at granthalliburton.org. Um, but yeah, just call and we'll be glad to to help with that. Um but really, the the Hope Squad Foundation themselves are fantastic. They are they have been really strong support as we have started developing this. They're you know quick to answer questions, yeah. quick to respond to us, and get us the information we need. And they have um, they're developing a lot of new resources. They've had some COVID nineteen kinds of resources mm-hmm. for Hope Squad in the home, so that families could find out more information and do some things just within themselves. Now, and- as you were talking, I was thinking that twenty twenty gives a unique lens to mental health mm-hmm. awareness I think mm-hmm. I think for the first time I don't know in forever <laughs> it's it's finally okay to not be okay because yeah. everything's so not okay like right, you know right and so I think this year gives a special platform like we may not have had before right. to talk about mental right. health and all this kind of well I think our western 
culture mm-hmm. is, you know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps yep. and keep moving. And you can do this on your own and, and you can't do this on your own. And, and we put a lot of shame on people who are struggling with their emotions or struggling with their mental well-being. Um, that they're weak or that they're, you know, just not right. taking care of themselves or they're making bad choices. And that's the reason and that would, they shouldn't be fearful and they shouldn't be anxious and all those kinds of shouldn'ts and, and right. shame. And so they don't want to speak up and COVID-19 has let us say, oh my it's given gosh. us an excuse to be able to say, I'm not okay. Exactly. And, and nobody is. So I can say that. Right. And, and following this, hopefully more people will be willing to continue to say, yeah. this is, I'm not in a good place right now. Well, and as you were talking, I was working with a family whose child was going through some anxiety and depression. And the dad said, I just want them to, I just want them to write a list of all the good things they have in their life. Mm. Like, let's just do that. And um, the counselor that was working with us said, Yeah, but he can't see that right Mm -mm, now. The child mm -mm. can't see that. He knows that and he wants to see that. But, you know, that and it's just it was this kind of aha moment for Mm -hmm. me of what depression and anxiety can look like in a child's life. So I don't know why I said that, but something you said popped into me. That we're we it was done by Indie Flicks and Meadows Mental Health Policy Institute has really been supportive of um, getting it out. Um, it's it's called Angst, mm-hmm. and it's looking at childhood anxiety and depression and trying to understand that in kids. And so they've interviewed kids from little, you know, third, fourth graders to high school kids talking about anxiety and how that impacts their daily function and being able to go from just through their day, being mm-hmm. able to learn and to listen. And when kids are really anxious, their brains cannot process right. that learning. They It may be coming in, but then it just gets splattered and it's not being put into long-term memory. It's, it's not being processed and they cannot utilize what they're, what they're supposed to be learning. Yeah. So explaining that to parents and getting them to understand that when they've not ever dealt with anxiety and then especially explaining that to teachers who've never dealt with it. Right. Um, the video has been fantastic. And so we're really working with some other schools and, and getting that video out screen mm-hmm. that's screening out for other families to learn about it. Because mm-hmm. if you've never dealt with anxiety, it's really hard to understand. Right. Right. Um, that you know, you cannot see any hope. You cannot see mm-hmm. anything positive. And yes, gratitude. Attitude is a great way to build resiliency, but if you're not in that place that you can even see to be grateful for anything, it, it's not going to happen. Yeah. So how well, do you do that? I am so thankful that um, you have come into our church's life and my life in particular of so that we can um, start being more proactive yeah. when it comes to mental health. So we have come towards the end of our podcast where I ask the hardest question. Are you ready? Yes. Okay. You have to pick child. Or parent. Okay. So if there's one thing, one thing, I'll give you two sentences about this topic that you'd want to tell a child or a parent, what would it be? That it's okay to not be okay. It's okay to say, I'm sad or I'm angry or I'm just lonely and know that it's okay to say that, that it, there's not shame with that. And um, and that the parent or the adult or the friend really be able to hear that and not try to say, oh, you're okay. 
but to really hear and say, let's talk more about that and find out what's going on so that you can feel better. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Amy Bull, for coming in today. Again, if you need more information about Hope Squad, you can go to hopesquad.org or .com or .something. Google it. Um, As always, um, St. Andrew and myself are here for resources. If this podcast touched on something in your heart, your mind, or your soul, don't hesitate to reach out. Thanks for listening.